0: to the off the road again podcast i'm chris i'm ross
1: and i'm dan of the road chose me
0: welcome to the show dan uh as 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 always we're socially distanced we've done it before it was mandated uh i'm still in the midwest ross is still in the northeast and dan is joining us from the canadian rockies
1: that's right yeah i'm sort of halfway between vancouver and calgary and it is snowing hard outside really how much are you supposed to get uh it's been continuous actually we've been getting like six to 12 inches kind of every night now for the last week oh, oh my god what yeah it's coming down it's really <laughs> nice it's like full I, that's I, that is something i can't even begin to like fathom like we got four inches i mean, of... I, I love snowboarding so uh, okay. it's making me a happy person so, so you're a season you, pass literally
0: <laughs> fresh powder every day
1: that's pretty much it yeah and and i didn't even go today because i'm too exhausted so i'm, I'm like resting <laughs> up so i can go tomorrow that sounds like the best kind of problem <laughs> it is, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah we got six we to got, twelve inches oh, we got man. four inches on new year's day and we were all kind of like all right fine we'll shovel this crap but like i don't do <laughs> right. it later
2: yeah we got nine inches the week before christmas and it was like it, it stopped the world over here you know that was the craziest thing to happen in like two years for the winter
0: well, the, the glory of it being new year's day is nothing was really open. There was nothing to go do, but Starbucks was open. So we, we went and got a coffee. Mm. Like we, <laughs> we had to get out and drive in the snow. You I wanted to. to know what the Sequoia would do. You have to, which by the way, uh, you don't have to put it in four wheel drive and four inches of snow and uh, it'll slide a little. As it should. That, that's, <laughs> that's my personal eight. update. Rear wheel cross. drive. That's all I got. Your yeah. personal.
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> more up... than my personal updates.
0: Well, and, it's it's still the horrible mastercraft t- like i haven't got tires yet so mm-hmm. dan i i had a tire blow or not blow but i had a tire go flat a couple three weeks ago now and i bought some 18 inch wheels that had some worn rubber on the back and so right now i have 20s on my my front axle and i have 18s on the rear and the <laughs> oh on i didn't rear,
2: realize that oh yeah, yeah, that's not the- oh that's
0: not good <laughs> it's terrible so you-
1: you don't want to put it in four wheel drive, right? That would oh, be- don't yeah, sell no, like I don't it. want
0: to. I don't want to blow a, a transfer case throwing different rotational forces through <laughs> Yeah. So that's why it stayed in two wheel drive and that's why it was I only I did put it in four wheel drive, but it was for like twelve feet. It probably be okay literally to get it up the driveway that was it
2: we'll go with that it'll be yeah.
0: okay yeah it was not fine. and if
2: it's not then you can do you know like an fj two-speed trencher case and it'll be even better oh, so God.
0: stop spending my money ross
2: i'm struggling <laughs> to spend my own <laughs> so i have to do it vicariously through other people <laughs> Here you go.
0: Here, here's the picture of how it's set up right now it's not it's not ideal
2: <laughs> oh i didn't realize that that is not
0: ideal yeah no. it's bad it, it's uh, but i could as soon as we make a decision on tires and pull the trigger, I'm waiting to hear back from a different contact,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and then uh, a past guest has also re asked me a question about them. So there might be a Good. third route that I investigate. So
2: excellent. Well, I may be driving down to Cape May, New Jersey, this weekend to pick up a set of tires. Cooper ST Maxes but- on OEM four runner wheels for one hundred and fifty dollars for a set of four. What? kind of hard to pass up yeah yeah they're not brand new but they're
0: better than uh they're better the tires than Obama, Geo yeah, Landers, yeah. dan to fill
2: you in real quick i recently purchased chris's forerunner <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> okay.
0: i'm not that good of a friend to know the exact tire on all of his vehicles just only the one uh, that i know that i put tires on. and i don't even know what's on them at the moment right. i just
2: know that going downhill in the snowstorm a couple weeks ago i hit the brakes and it just kept going so it's time for some new tires it's heavy uh, that's because chris
1: put his old worn out tires
2: on there before he sold no it. they're they <laughs> actually have a ton of life left they're just they're 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 a highway all season and that's yeah. it
0: you know which all season um, stands for no season it, it does unfortunately but i'm sure dan knows in the canadian rockies right now getting six <laughs> to 12 inches of snow a night <laughs>
1: Yeah, right. actually here it's the law. We have to run winter tires. They have to be like really? snowflake rated. Yeah, between like October and I think April. Is there uh, April. a chain law for the passes? It's chains or winter tires, but, but every passenger vehicle has to have winter tires anyway. But then wow. the, the trucks have to carry chains and they use them in the passes. Oh my God. So just to fill the audience that's listening
2: in, um, Dan has famously driven a JKU Wrangler around a good portion of the world. <laughs> it seems by this point definitely all of africa and i mean qu- uh, probably quite a lot of canada by now too right
1: uh that's right yeah and and a lot of the us as well when i got mm-hmm. back and then before that i drove a tj all the way from alaska to argentina so you have ko2s on the jeep currently and... not no oh, i have uh really? yokohama geolander x on oh thing. how have those yeah. been doing they are excellent i really like them from the minute i put them on they're way quieter than the ko2s mm-hmm. um, and they seem to be way longer lasting as well like my how many mid- miles were the on the ko2s by the time you got rid of them oh i used up two sets in africa one on the west coast and one on the east coast off mm-hmm. the top of my head i i can't remember exactly maybe i put on like forty thousand miles on each set i can't remember that's, actually
2: that's pretty strong uh, given the terrain you drove over and the tread pattern of the ko2 mm. i know there's some people with the original bfg ko's that got like seventy thousand miles out of them
1: which is kind of comical and then there's people who are like yeah they wore out after 15. well my hmm. hmm. heavy too so it definitely uh it definitely chews up tires as much as it can did you have to weigh it prior to putting it in the cargo container no um containers have a maximum weight limit of like i think it's forty thousand pounds and so at some point i remember them sort of asking me they're like is is it going to be anything near that like no it's just a vehicle and they're like oh we don't care at all then it's completely i said jeep it's a
2: jeep because i'm sure there's people we had a few guests on recently from like you know earth cruiser and those vehicles are still only, what, 15,000 pounds or so? Oh, he told us, and I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. I know it was it was a,
1: a large number, but it wasn't anywhere near 40. 14. Yeah, I think you have to work pretty hard to hit the weight limit on a shipping container. Like yeah. Lead ingots or something. <laughs> it's like, you got to work hard.
2: Multiple vehicles, multiple unmarked, uh, very heavy packages. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Just to be but, fact check, Earth Cruiser is fourteen thousand pounds. Okay, Just I was only seven tons.
2: That's still pretty
0: heavy. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, so okay, so good to hear about the Yokohamas because for a long time, and I'm sure you know, the off road world was you buy a BFG or you buy like a Mickey Thompson, you know, or something in that vein, or, or like a, a Goodyear MTRs were the big thing in the late two thousands. I'm sure you remember, and now. I mean, Cooper and Falcon and Yokohama, and they're all just like blowing up on the scene. And it's, I, Boy, yeah. I'm Toyo, especially Nito. Um,
1: I'm all about it. Max yeah, I is... agree. Even General Tire have their, what is that, the GT3 or something? Like, yeah. yeah. There's so, right many, so many of the companies now making quality tires, which is great. <laughs> better mm-hmm. for us. Yes, absolutely. Uh, more
2: is always better with tires. But yeah, good to hear <laughs> about, the, uh, about the Yokohamas. Yeah. Um, we could go a million different places here, and I'm sure Chris is going to get a kick out of me. I think, and everything we talk about, and so the guests. So, I mean, Chris and I—we usually start the show. We talk about our own personal updates. I got nothing. Um, it, it, its the Northeast in the winter, and it's you know,
0: it's the sucks. spring,
2: the winter of 2020 to 2021. So nothing's is, happening here. Is
0: the head unit installed?
2: No. Uh, <laughs> it's day. I stopped counting. Um, Dan, the the background story is, in order to add Bluetooth to the 2005 Forerunner, you have to replace the head unit. In order to maintain a backup camera, you have to replace the backup camera. It's been a bit of a process. Uh, Today, I routed the wire from the backup camera down the side of the tailgate, through the tailgate harness, into the headliner, and down the headliner, and that took all of my hour-long lunch. So tomorrow I resume running the wires from the back of the truck to the front of the truck. So I'm doing this. Like it probably could have been done in one Saturday, but I don't have a garage and I don't have a driveway. So I do it on my lunch at the shop and it's uh, it's yeah. I stopped counting how many days the guys in the shop are actually joking. Like they'll walk over and be like, Hmm, day 12, still not done. (laughs) I'm like, you're not helping.
0: (laughs) I think this is at least our fourth show where you've referenced it now.
2: Yeah. Well the the first few it was sitting in a box, but now the truck is still everybody who cause the whole center console's out, the tunnels like removed, the dashboards partially still disassembled, and it's it's it looks like somebody broke into it and stripped it of anything right. of value.
0: Are you leaving uh, this at work or are you driving it back oh and no. forth still?
2: No, I drive it back and forth. <laughs>
0: <Torn> <laughs> and apart. it's
2: it's really funny because the <laughs> the rectangular panel that has the climate control is just attached by one little harness with like a dongle clip. And it it's moving around. There's nowhere to put it. So like I'll go to change the temperature while I'm driving and I have to like reach over to the passenger side and like catch this
0: thing that's flopping around. It's uh, it's a two hand job.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> let's um, let's pre- let's pretend I didn't say that in case my insurance is listening, uh, Allegedly, <laughs> all of the above. So I haven't. I got nothing else. And usually we also talk about industry news, of which I think the only actual news is supposedly the 392 Wrangler is going to be priced at like seventy-five to seventy-seven thousand dollars. And Dan and I touched on this very briefly, but that—that's a lot of hmm. money.
1: That is Huge. a lot of money for a Wrangler. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. When I, it's I think hard to I... imagine that. Hard to imagine they plan on selling like a bunch of them every year. You know, they, they mm-hmm. can't be expecting tens of thousands. I don't think at that price.
0: It no. It is not far off from what like Hellcats and Demons were priced at though when they came out. And those things are, I feel like if I see a challenger now, I'm disappointed it's not. A <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. They're all over the place. Like, And I also think this doesn't put us very far away from the six-figure Wrangler. Six-figure Wrangler is terrifying. It's terrifying, but it's well, coming. Um,
1: yeah, I guess there's also. Have you talked about the rumors of them building an aftermarket, you know, a factory right next to the production line in Toledo? I read that. Yeah, because supposedly they want to start selling like upfitted Wranglers, you know, mm-hmm. so they can get in the aftermarket world. Right. And at that point, I think the six-figure Wrangler will be easy. Right. So well, it, you bought your from literally- stock, I assume, right? I did. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure you've driven past the
2: dealerships where. On one side of the parking lot, they have stock vehicles, and then parked up front, like along the street, it's like rough country lift and thirty fives, and nothing to go all along
0: with up, it. All dealer installed. And
2: yeah, and it's an eight thousand dollars markup. So, oh, we there actually, were we have a shots. local
0: uh, dealer oh, that does the mercenary package. Have we? We have talked about this. We've now. talked we're about this. It's podcast.
2: not good. It's it's, not. it's really not good uh it's questionable at best it's angry
0: eyes the jeep basically it's angry eyes and like weird font
2: yeah it's not it's not good um but there's pictures floating around of that red four-door rubicon with the half doors Mm. which kind of kicked rumors into a whirlwind but i don't know Mm. would you have optioned anything differently on yours
1: were you to do it again well, actually, I bought mine used um, in the interest Ooh. of saving money. Um, and so my requirements were four-door, six-speed Rubicon. That, mm-hmm. was, that was what I wanted. And I basically just like scoured, you know, the used forum Craigslist mm-hmm. until one came up and I jumped on it.
2: And today it would have been Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. And funny enough, it actually has heated seats, which is uh, probably least used feature while I was in Africa, <laughs> right? <laughs> Are they the cloth seats or the leathers? Uh, they're cloth seats. They're oh, heated cloth
2: seats. Okay. Yeah. Did you even use that at like if you were out at night? Well, actually, no. you can probably attest to this, but what was night travel like and did you do it at all?
1: Right. So, uh, night travel is really, really unsafe in kind of any developing or undeveloped country. Um, there's just so many hazards on the road. There's potholes, there's, you know, unsigned speed humps, people walking, animals, mm. beasts of burden, just so many surprises around every corner. And so as a rule, I try really, really hard not to drive at night. It just, and every time I ever did it, I regretted it badly.
2: Really? It was like yeah.
1: scary from the get-go or like something yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah. Super stressful always. Um, and you just feel, you know, like the world's out to get you when it's dark, you know, like mm-hmm. there's bad guys around the corner, <laughs> even when there isn't. Um, and I right. did actually, I smoked a pothole in Guinea in West Africa and broke a sway bar end link. Uh, the jeep actually bounced off the ground when it came out of the pothole. Oh. oh that yeah. must have been in yeah like, and i didn't ass even see off it.
2: seat and then like poo came out
1: <laughs> pretty much i mean that was you know <laughs> the loudest bang you can imagine as all four bump stops like just smashed into the oh yeah into the battle uh, like yeah it sure did yeah it I was can... yeah it was pitch black pouring rain i couldn't see a thing oh
0: god yeah
1: that's like the worst
0: conditions to be driving in <laughs> the rain didn't cushion it at all
1: unfortunately
2: not
0: water's not soft
2: (laughs) no and the pothole lurking beneath will never be oh Oh, man that's yeah that's that's scary and i mean I'm, i'm guessing those few instances in which you did drive at night you were probably exhausted by then right they
1: were after like long days of travel when you were still trying to just get to where you needed to be yeah that's exactly right and you always you get in that sort of mentality of like if i just keep pushing on everything will get better and somehow it seems like a good idea. And it's not until later in hindsight, when you're like, that was really dumb. Right. It's like, we were just, I mean, we,
2: I spoke or alluded to moving target earlier. And that is like, you think if you get over that next hump of exhaustion, you'll be fine. And it's never fun because something always just drains you even more. Exactly. Yeah. That's scary. Did you encounter at all any of the roads where like suddenly oncoming traffic was just a thing in your own lane?
1: Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. In pretty much every country, that's how it is. Yep. Yep. Um, Driving is just vastly different when you're in, as soon as you hit the border of Mexico, really, in in Hmm. any of Latin America or Africa, it's, I call it make it up driving. It's way more fluid. It's way more (laughs) just like, if there's space, just cram in, even Hmm. if it's the wrong lane, even if it's on the wrong side of the road. Hmm. But it's it's kind of interesting because as long as everyone's paying attention, you don't really see too many accidents. Um, it's kind of not until you're out on the highway and high speeds are involved and then it, it almost turns into like a game of chicken. And that's right. where you see accidents. I and mean, that's, that's where they're really bad accidents.
2: Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. That's but really in towns,
1: scary. you know, like four-way stop sign, that, that's just a four-way go sign. And, 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 it, and everybody goes. <laughs> Suggestion. And it, and it doesn't really matter because if it, as long as everyone's going, you can watch each other and you can avoid each other. Right, right. Yeah, you said, you know,
2: everybody's at least paying attention. That's the problem here is that everybody's just distracted were there a lot of distracted drivers or it's just, it's mayhem. Everybody's doing what they're going to do. And, and that's kind of
1: it. Yeah. I would say it's mayhem and, and people seem to pay attention a lot more. And, and interestingly, mm. you really only need to pay attention to what's in front of you. You, you never really care about your blind spots. And, mm. and if you need to just slam on the brakes for some reason, you do, because the car behind you can see you so easily. Right. right? And you just sort of rely on that fact. If you're in front, you just do whatever you want. That's pretty funny. It's really like, it, it's, at first it's really intimidating and then it turns into being quite fun and quite mm-hmm. like exhilarating to just like merge into a roundabout with like 50 motorbikes, <laughs> in, like, you know, less than a foot off your bumper. Oh. And it just doesn't matter. It, you just smile at the motorbike r- right. rider and like, he doesn't care at all. So you had dabbled in that in your, in the first trip, but how long did it take
2: to really, for that to become second nature? Because I went to Italy on my honeymoon and the driving, I thought it was going to be an, an, unlearnable curve and it was after 45 minutes, it was just normal, you know, bikes flying by and people making crazy passes and you just do everything you can to, to adapt and it, it just works out. Was it like the next day for you or did that take a little, a little while?
1: I think starting in Mexico is kind of a nice soft introduction, so it's not too crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, so you get used to that, you know, in a couple of days or a week. <laughs> But then, sort of different countries like Peru is absolutely insane, and then so like really, yeah, buses come around hairpin corners on the wrong side of the road in the mountains, like oh well, that's every, fun. every day, and it's pretty much the newspaper every single day in Peru front page bus goes off cliff, fifty people are dead, like it's uh... it's just life in <laughs> Peru. Yeah. Note to <laughs> potential future self: don't get on a bus in Peru. As soon as you see them drive, you completely understand why. Yeah. Um, but shit. yeah i think i think i've sort of spent years getting used to it more and more and when i drove into cairo in egypt that's still at the end of the africa expedition that still raised my eyebrows of like <laughs> this is the most nutty thing i've ever seen in my yeah. life
2: wow of all places that's pretty funny how was uh i mean we know there's lorries and then there's also motorcycles with other vehicles on the road was the jeep like comparably sized or were you kind of an
1: outlier uh, it really, it depended on the country and it probably depended like how close to the capital city I was. Mm. Um, a lot of Africa is like land cruisers and Land Rovers and, you know, four-wheel drive vehicles of some sort, pickup trucks, be they dilapidated, but still similar size, I guess, to oh, yes. the Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then when you do see the enormous transport trucks, you basically just get out of the way because they won't stop. Uh, uh, a four-way stop for them is literally a go. They, they have no interest. They don't even look. Because it's just it's your job to avoid them, is how it works. Um, that's terrifying. <laughs> but then it, you know it, it sort of goes down the chain like that. Like I can treat motorbikes the same way. Mm. I can I can just go and motorbikes will go around me, and and that's right. sort of like the rules of the road.
2: That's pretty funny. I, yeah, I, I
1: look forward to
2: experiencing that at some point, because when I moved to the city that I live in now. There's an unwritten rule that right turn on red is okay. Uh, it, it, there, there's no law that says it is. It's just people think that you can make a right turn or a left turn for that matter. More. Actually, no, I, I misspoke. Right turn on red is legal. Left turn on red is very illegal. But people in this city do left turn on red like it's normal. Really? Really. And it, it absolutely shocked me because I grew up going to New York City, which right turn on red is illegal. So here yep. right turn on red people still kind of hesitate. But left turn on red is just like it all the time all everywhere and it, it's it's mayhem. So I don't know. I I think at some point still probably be absolutely baffled by people's driving. <laughs> but that's crazy. Um I mean god I have so many questions. <laughs>
1: um, do you want so, to start
0: in the Americas or do you want to start in Africa, yeah. Ross? Where do you want to start? Let's, or do you want to start let, in Australia? Like,
1: go back to the beginning.
0: I was just saying, to that's the where beginning. the action so, comes from. So, how far back do you want to go? <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, what got you into off-roading? Because we've had so many guests on that are either I got into off-roading from the day I could, you know, walk and grow up with it. And then we have people who are like, oh, I got into off-roading in the last five years because of,
1: of motorsport. So how was your start? Yeah, it's fairly recent for me, actually. Um, growing up in Australia, the, like the family road trip is a real thing. And you go camping on the beach, you know, you take a tent and all the gear. And we did that every year as a family. And, and we did tour quite a bit of the country. But dad didn't have a four-wheel drive. And I would say, we, you know, we barely went off gravel roads. It was oh, wow. we had a family station wagon, you know, loaded to the hilt. So it wasn't until I came to North America about 10 or 12 years ago, I needed a vehicle to get around in the winter and someone said, Oh, you should buy a Jeep. They're great in the snow. And I had no idea. I'd, I'd never owned a four wheel drive. Mm. So I bought a Cherokee, a rust bucket. Oh, uh, and goodness. it was great. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I wanted to go hiking and camping and kayaking and, and get remote mm. and that Cherokee went everywhere I ever wanted to go and more. So then I sort of just, I, I wouldn't say I'm even really an off-road enthusiast, more of like exploring. And you know, I want to travel wild places. Yeah yeah and kind of the more the travel has has motivated me to to have these vehicles that can take me anywhere I want to go. Mm-hmm. So, what brought you to the states and also what happened to the Cherokee? <laughs> uh, I finished university in Australia and was so burnt out I didn't want to get a real job. <laughs> so I came Fair. over to North America to to work at ski resorts. Uh, I was a cool. lifty, you know, working on the chairlift, I was a snowboard instructor, I was a ski <laughs> patroller. Oh, so you're really, you were saying that you snowboard until you're exa- too exhausted to go oh. the next day. You're re- that's really
2: <laughs> like your life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was my life for a lot of years. Um, and then I ran out of money and I had to go back and get a real job and all of that. And, but just over the years, I've, I've really fallen in love with North America and the mountains the mm-hmm. seasons, you know, the snow. Uh, yeah. I love it over here. It's, it's great. What's the highest elevation in Australia? It, it
2: can't be more than a couple thousand feet, right?
1: Yeah. It's not much at all. Um, I want to say f- three or 4,000 feet. Uh, oh, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's a hill. You can just walk to the top of it.
2: Three or 4,000 is what like we have in Connecticut and, and New York. So
1: that's, that's, right. that's
2: pretty low. What's the highest you've taken the Jeep?
1: Oh, I drove the Jeep to 14,000 feet in Ethiopia. Um, okay. That's pretty good and high. I think it was fourteen thousand. I can look up the photo yeah. I took of my GPS. That sounds right in my memory. I hiked at twelve in Colorado, and I was like shot the next day, like exhausted.
0: I Highest like point in Australia is seven thousand three hundred nine feet.
1: Oh, okay. Seven thousand. Whoa. Yeah. So there you go. I have no idea. Don't listen to me. I, I don't it,
0: know. It <laughs> came from a website that was au so I'm pretty sure. It's the geo. It's, it's literally Geoscience credible. Australia website. Like I think it's the De- okay. Australian Department government. of. <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess yeah. I'll defer to them. Yeah. <laughs> probably say they know a little bit more than I do. Even yeah. so, the top seven
0: page says Australian Government Geoscience Australia. I was like, that's that's a lot of Australia for a title, guys. <laughs> if words. they were both of them are Australia.
2: <laughs> yeah, if they were uh, imitating anybody, they would be doing a real. They'd be trying really hard.
0: But (laughs) average elevation is only 300 meters. So that's like 900 feet-ish. Yeah.
1: Yep. I
0: was like, I still have Google Open. I can do that. So so there's
1: there's one mountain range kind of on the east coast of Australia. And it it does get snow. We do have ski resorts. That was my Uh, next question. Other than that, the rest of Australia is dead flat. Straight desert. Yep. Where in
2: Australia are you from? Because we have
1: one of our regular co-hosts and co-writers is from Australia. Okay, yeah, I, I grew up in the country uh in the state of Victoria. And so mm. usually I say that I'm from Melbourne and, and around. So sort of <laughs> southern, eastern. That's okay. Where,
0: that's where Joel's out now, but he grew up in yep. Tasmania.
1: Oh yeah. yeah I've never been, you know, I have the middle of my own country.
0: Yeah. He oh, only wow. ever calls it Taz and I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, no. No,
1: we live too far away to casually call it Taz.
0: Yeah. Like to use Australian slang just, just sounds ridiculous at a game in the middle of the US. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> literally on the opposite side of the world. <laughs> so how was the, uh, how was the trip in the TJ? Because Chris had a TJ. I've spent more time in TJs than I can possibly begin to explain. Uh, did it it beat the crap out of you, didn't it?
1: You know, actually it didn't. Um, you're going to be a bit annoyed to hear this, but basically like <laughs> it had, it had stock bumpers. I had no winch. I had no fridge. I literally just had my backpacking gear in the back of it. Okay. But, you know, a bag of clothes yeah. and a box of food. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that thing was extremely light, that's which meant yeah, that's, it, do you it. know it was it was great actually. It never broke down once. It handled everything I ever wanted it to, because it was so stock and so light. You know, it wasn't really working very hard day to day. Yeah. Was it it a, is it a four liter or a two five? That actually is a two five.
0: Oh nice. man!
1: Wow. So you probably got like 20-ish miles per gallon, maybe? Yeah, 19 every single day of the expedition.
2: That's really not terrible for a long trip. What was getting gas like down in, in the southern part of Mexico?
1: Uh, yeah, no, Mexico is really developed, no problem at all. Really? Um, huh. All of Central America, in fact, I'd wager you can't get more than 200 miles from a gas station, like, even huh. if you tried, wow. because it is, you know, it's fairly small, you know, on a sure. landmass scale. And it's developed. There's paved roads all over the place. There's good gas stations everywhere.
2: So it was mostly a pavement trip or was uh, it, uh, with excursions off on whenever possible?
1: Yeah, I tried as hard as I could to stay off the pavement and mm. always go for excursions. But I would say, yeah, there was nearly 50% probably overall was still mm. pavement.
2: Wow. And what? any idea roughly what percentage of the Africa trip was tarmac versus not?
1: Uh, it's a total guess, but I'd say something like maybe twenty or thirty percent was pavement, and the rest was not. And even then, probably probably ninety percent of the gravel. Like I wasn't even in four wheel drive. It was you know a okay. Subaru road, if you want to call yeah. it that. And then maybe maybe ten percent of it, maybe twenty percent of it, was kind of like, all right, yeah, I, I might get stuck here. This is sort of I better pay attention.
2: <laughs> And then like the extra like one or 2% on the far stream that's like, oh, this is going to be bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's where it's just like, can I get around this or do I have no choice but to go through it? Mm. Did you ever encounter anybody else on their own
2: overlanding or off-roading excursion that were like unrecoverable or just totally beach somewhere?
1: Uh, like other foreigners?
2: Yeah. Other people trying to just go on an adventure who are like way in over their head or just got stuck in a huge mud pit that was just part of the road?
1: I never did encounter anyone that was like hopelessly in trouble Um, Mm. because I think, you know, a lot of people always ask, how did you persevere, you know, when things went wrong or, you know, when you couldn't get a visa or you had malaria or like all the the trouble times. And basically the answer is you just persevere until you Mm. find a solution. Mm. And so it doesn't really matter whether it takes a day, a week or a month. If you're stuck in the mud, you will get out. Right? Right. You, just, you just have to because it's your house. It's got your passport in it. You, you legally can't keep it in the country for too long. Mm-hmm. So overlanders, I think, who are going global, they're a special sort of stubborn. They're a special sort of determined <laughs> where it's just like, well, yes, this is very annoying and this is going to take a long time. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing with my life. So it, I'll just show up <laughs> at the customs office every single day for the rest of my life until this issue is resolved. And and so then, you know, it has has to to get resolved. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, people always, did you find someone who like was, you know, totally hopelessly been like, no, they were just solving their problem, you know, one hour at a time. And however long it took, that's how long it took.
2: And they'd probably say the same thing about you too, if they were, uh, if they came across you. But yeah, Chris Chris just pulled up. (laughs) I mean, talk about, obviously not hopeless because you got it out of there, but you had a, a small mishap with um, what some people would joke about. The Jeep was just tired and decided to take a nap.
1: Um, it was on its side.
0: It was the e-brake cable, right?
1: It was the e-brake. It's sort of embarrassing, but <laughs> basically I got out to take a photo. Uh, I left it in first gear. It's, you know, it's a six speed and the e-brake didn't hold. And actually, because it's so heavy, it turned over the engine. So even in first gear, it will roll oh, yeah. as I learned. <laughs> Uh, and so it went forward, maybe like four or five car lengths, and then it it smacked into a rock bank, and that kicked it over onto the passenger oh. side. If it hadn't hit that rock bank, would you still be chasing it? So, on that side of the road was kind of no, no. Valid question. That side of the road was kind of a rock bank for a while. Mm. But had it have veered to the other side, it literally would have gone off a cliff. Oh, like shit! Oh, like I don't know, a hundred foot cliff. Oh, like man, literally destroyed. So So, lesser of two evils by quite a substantial margin. When it came back up on its wheels and that night, I kind of, I cleaned it all out and I really assessed everything. And I was like, Mm. well, on a scale of bad to really bad, I got off pretty lightly. Yeah. The (laughs) pictures, the pictures don't allude to the cliff behind where you took that picture from. Right. You can see the rock bank kind of under the wheels there. Yeah. 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 Like under where the people are standing. That's, you know, that's the driver's tire hit that. And that's what tipped Mm. it over. But yeah, sort of behind, I guess, me taking the photo, maybe another like 30 or 40 yards down, it just gets really steep, really fast. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean,
2: you can kind of see behind the trees on the top left of the picture, it looks like there's just sky behind that and it kind of just falls
1: away. Um, Yeah. The road was kind of like up on this ridge, like following, you know, these little sort of mountainy things steeper than it looks right we love to talk about
2: how pictures are they never give away how steep something is in person
1: right yeah and and really not that bad i mean i thought the e-brake was going to hold it you know Mm -hmm. because i i did know that it was not good and i did know that it might move i just never expected it to happen so suddenly Good place for it to happen, all things considered. Oh, I mean, I was I was terrified. That's like fairly remote in Uganda. I hadn't seen a vehicle for a couple of hours. I <sighs> I was I really hit my limit. You know, I collapsed on the ground and I really thought about I was just gonna have to take my passport out and start walking. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. There was nobody I, there. It was no, just there like, was nobody there. there oh, was no vehicles okay. and like I didn't have any clue of where I would walk to. I just kind of started thinking about like mm-hmm. maybe this is it. Maybe I've finally done it.
0: Where'd the people come from?
1: That's a great question. And (laughs) the joke in Africa, they heard the noise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the joke in Africa is you are never alone, especially when you think you are. Pretty much, if there is a road, there are people living near the road. You know, Mm -hmm. they've got a little mud hut with a straw roof. And so, especially as a white person, especially a big loud crash like that, absolutely, they just showed up because they heard it and they wanted to know what was going on. Yeah, And so That's people right. always, they like materialize out of the jungle or out of the desert or whatever. And it's always shocking. You're like, where, where did you come from? And they're like, oh, I'm just walking. <laughs> For how long now? And they're like, yeah. oh, I don't know, a week. That's not a
2: thing in the States. People would be totally caught off guard by that every single time, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. it if- takes them getting used to especially like just when you're having a bathroom break or like just when you're about to sit down to dinner and these people show up. You're like, whoa, oh, hello, how are you?
2: Right, I've been on a couple ATV trails that cross the Appalachian and you'll be sitting there like on the top of the mountain, kind of looking off, you know, at a Ridge or something and somebody sneaks up behind you and you don't know they're there until like they sit down and it is one of the scariest things ever. Like <laughs> you're looking around like, okay, who's going to hear me if I yell, <laughs> you know, and they're thinking the same thing, but in this picture, so you had, you were using is that Garmin you're running a Garmin GPS. That's right. Yep. And you would have just yoinked it out of the Jeep if you had to and, and just gone walking.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I just driven in on that road, probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 miles from the last town I was in. So I just would have started walking back down the road, I guess. Is, is the note on yeah. the
0: dash for what side of the road you need to be driving on?
1: <laughs> that is exactly what the note on the dash is for. Oh my God. And, and I hear you laughing, but it's like, a, it's a real thing. So... In Africa, kind of most of Southern Africa, they drive on the left-hand side of the road. But the thing is, as you come back up, because of the countries I chose to go to, I swapped sides back and forward a few times. And so it's kind of a real thing. You wake up in the morning, you're know, you camping out in the jungle somewhere, you get in and you start driving and you're just on a gravel road and there's no one else around. And you really pause and you think to yourself, what country (laughs) am I in? What what side of the road am I supposed to be on? it becomes a real problem. And and actually, even at a couple of borders, I, the, that one right there, good, good pickup on the photo, the Uganda border. I was going into Rwanda here and I drove off and then actually did a U-turn and came back and asked the military guy. I was like, which side of the road am I supposed to be on? And he was like, other side, buddy, swap sides. Oh my God. Because there are no signs. It's like nobody, nothing helps you. You just you just make it up and then drive away on the other side of the road. I mean, it, it sounds like in some places it wouldn't really matter, but
2: it's that could be very, very concerning. They don't make you change anything. It's just, you just go from one to the other. There's no...
1: Yep, yep. yep. It's just like make it up land kind of for maybe a hundred meters yeah. on either side of that barrier. And then after that, you're supposed to have it
0: dialed. Think, oh my god i think that was so a yeah top. That,
1: that note on the dash it, it really brought me like peace of mind i could glance at it and be like okay yeah i'm definitely doing the right thing this i feel more you know i feel more comfortable right now
0: i think it was a, so a, were there any a top gear bit in the africa special and i think it was the same border i think it was uganda and rwanda that they switched back to the whichever side they were supposed to be on And one of the co-hosts, they were like, nah, you're just messing with me. And then all of a sudden, somebody was driving at him, horns blaring like, oh, oh, okay.
1: (laughs) It's exactly how it goes because I drove down the whole coast of West Africa and and every single country is drive on the right. So it's, you know, left-hand drive Jeep, drive on the right. It's natural, it's easy. Mm -hmm. And then the day I drove into (laughs) Namibia, there's no sign, there's no nothing to let you know. And so I drive away from the border, like on the other side of the road for the first time in many, many years. But, you know, it's, it's the wrong side of the road because you, you're steering from the left, but, right. you're, but you're also driving on the left. And so the first car that came towards me, it's just like this, this flinching moment where you're like, oh, crap, yeah. is this going to work out okay? <laughs> you, you just kind of like hold the steering wheel a bit tighter than usual and you're like, oh, I guess that worked. <laughs> well, either it works or it doesn't. <laughs> You'll find out one way or the other. Pretty much. Yeah. It,
2: and it, it just, reminds me yeah. nowhere near the same comparison, but I was in like seventh grade and I went to Canada with my parents and suddenly everything was in kilometers per hour. There's no introduction to that growing to school in the u.s they don't teach you that and i remember looking at the speedometer on the rental car and just being like oh my god we're going 130 miles per hour <laughs> not realizing it was obviously kilometers per hour you know and my dad sitting in the steering and the driver's seat going holy shit, we're flying playing you know <laughs> joking around um, and speaking of chris i meant to mention that to you dan this is my second fourth gen forerunner the one that i had first i bought in Canada and imported from Canada myself. And my brain still can't get the speedometer right because this one has miles per hour up top and kilometers per hour on the, on the inside. And I still look at the top one thinking it's
0: kilometers per hour and have to like do to swap back and forth every time. That's not a good one to ignore in the US-based Jeep. It's okay to ignore yeah. it in the Canadian version, but you need to pay attention to those yeah. top numbers down here.
2: I mean, flow of traffic, but it. Yeah. I'm still programming my brain after, you know, years with that other one um okay so were there any aside from swapping visas and you know changing paperwork and 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 all that was there any other country to country change you had to go through to make the trip happen or was it basically you have your you know your all your paperwork in order the jeep is what it is and you don't have to change you know license plates or registration or anything right
1: that's right, yeah, it's, it's actually a lot more straightforward than most people realize. There's there's kind of like an international convention that says you can drive your vehicle as it sits right now in essentially every single country in the world. Hmm. And because it's registered and insured in its home country, that's good enough for any other country around the world just to let you drive it through as a tourist. Wow. So it's, it's the big distinction. You, you're not actually permanently importing it. So you don't have to pay import taxes. It doesn't have to pass emissions, right. all of that stuff it's purely on a one month or sometimes a three month kind of, you know, temporary thing. And basically at the border, they get you to fill in some paperwork. What's the VIN number? What color is it? Blah, blah, blah. Stamp, stamp, stamp. And then they're like, here you go. Here's your piece of paper. It's valid for a month. Have fun. See you later. And then- there were some places you did opt for, they, or they may, they entice you to get insurance locally. That's right. Yeah, there's a couple of countries where it is legal, um, like a legal requirement to get collision insurance, and it's like ten dollars for a month or maybe twenty dollars for a month. And realistically, it's probably not worth the piece of paper it's written on. Right. But it's probably more work than it's worth. Should you need it? Yeah, yeah, but you have to get it, so you do, and then you're free to go. Mm -hmm. So Chris pulled up a picture. Chris, what was that picture? Um, Or or.
2: He's pulling pictures live here from, I think, Instagram. Yep. And um,
0: Instagram's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> which is uh, at what? the road chose me for the audience.
2: <laughs> so truck stuck at, can't see the rest of those words, exit of river. So did you go around that guy or did you try to help him? It looks like some kind
1: of like cargo truck. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And yeah, I went around him like just to the right of him, which <laughs> made the exit kind of a lot steeper and a lot slicker. Uh, but didn't have any trouble. Mm. Yeah, and, <laughs> is that, and this just a kind road? of thing. Uh, yeah, I guess you'd call it a road. Yeah. <laughs> <But> th- <laughs> this kind of thing is just extraordinarily common in Africa where you can drive along for hundreds of miles and then you just come across a vehicle that's like stuck in the mud or broken down or out of gas or you know, all the tires are flat. And it's just like part of life for them because they've been, you know, repairing mm. this thing. It's been on its last legs for 20 years right so it was really common actually i came across vehicles that didn't have a starter motor and had like stalled in a mud pit just like that you know the the driver had stalled it trying to drive up something and so you know why doesn't it run oh no it runs fine it just doesn't have a starter (laughs) i just can't make it run (laughs) yeah yeah and normally they just push start it but you know it's in an awkward spot and so then you sort of say like oh why doesn't it have a starter he's like oh i sold it so i could buy more diesel Mm -hmm. okay okay yeah so so how long he's like oh five years ago jesus christ so they, <laughs> they drive around a vehicle for five years that doesn't have a starter motor because it's not really essential you don't actually need it so why bother having one <laughs>
0: I it when you're stuck in a mud pit
1: this is like <laughs> yeah it, it takes it, and every time it happens it, it really like you kind of do this big like wtf moment where you're like what did you just say mm-hmm. the, the way that africans think and the way that they just pare things down to like bare essentials mm. like that's nuts But it makes sense. But it's true. Like you're absolutely right. And then you're like, okay, yeah, good man. And and usually, like if it was a smaller vehicle, I'd give it a push or give it a tug start or whatever if I could. But you know, like a truck of that size, I was just Mm -hmm. totally outgunned, and the Jeep had no hope of helping. They need another truck of that size to help them out. Exactly right. Yeah.
2: It sounds like there's a sense of like adaptability that we just largely, not to speak for everybody, for the most part in the states here, we don't deal with that. So we don't know how to
1: do it. Yeah, absolutely. That is like fundamental to life in Africa. And it, it definitely changes the way that people relate to each other. And because, especially I remember crossing the Congo, it's really harsh and really remote and there are no spare parts. There is no infrastructure of any kind. Mm -hmm. And so you really get this sense of like, everybody has to work together. Otherwise none of us are going to make it like, you, you can't go out as a lone wolf because sooner or later you're going to run into trouble. So it's just this ongoing process of like, you help me and I'll help you. And, you know, maybe you end up in a bit of a convoy or maybe, you know, a whole bunch of locals jump in the back or on the Jeep or whatever, you help them get to the next village. And then something happens in the village where they help you. And so it's this, it's, it's much more community focused of like, let's all help each other and let's all work together. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's-
2: The off-road community, we talk about it all the time, and given these are two separate sides of what you can see from the off-road world, whereas you're seeing communities coming together, in the off-road world in the U.S., you see the little pockets of people who come together to help and fix things and, you know, make it work when somebody's in need. Um, I mean, we see all the time out west in Death Valley and in places out in California and the deserts that, that flood people go and get stuck. And then it's, you know, five, six vehicle recovery team goes out and rescues everybody. So it seems kind of a common thread, um, but it, you know, I'm sure Definitely. it happens in the car world too, but the four by four world, it's it's
1: certainly, there's a different aspect of, of necessity that comes with it. Definitely. And I think that's part of what draws us into the community is that real feeling of camaraderie. And like, then we are part of a crew. We are part of a team, and. And that you know that gives us a nice warm fuzzy feeling mm-hmm. so speaking of fuzzy feelings ah segue <laughs> um in tires? your no.
2: tires no. Fuzz... tires do sometimes make fuzzy feelings <laughs> um you're the the first trip the america's trip what were your
1: highlights uh um the trip, I mean it it changed my life. it's it's phenomenal, but if you want, there's a couple of things that I'll never forget as long as I live. Um, Alaska is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my whole life, still really? to this day. So I always say Americans, Canadians, you owe it to yourself, find a way to get a couple of months off work and drive up there in the summertime. You know, June, July, August, the sun's going to be up. It's not cold when Um, you have more than like six hours of sun. (laughs) Oh, oh, it'll be twenty hours or twenty-four hours if you go far enough north. That's amazing. But you know, like glaciers, moose, grizzly bears, wild camping, super friendly people, it's breathtaking. And and you know, it is part of your country, so it's you Mm -hmm. definitely owe it to yourself to go and hang out in Alaska for a couple of months. Just have to fly there now. (laughs) You can't drive. Yeah, with Canada being closed, but fingers crossed that'll change soon. I hope so. um, down in Guatemala, they've got lots of active volcanoes and I poked lava with a stick on one of these volcanoes and like roasted oh, marshmallows. Boy. And uh, yeah, you could stand like right next to the lava until like the hair on your arms were melting. It was nuts. <laughs> Chris taught geology and I've, I, I minored in geology and still explore geology. That, uh, that sounds like kind of important. <laughs> it's one of those like pinch yourself moments where you just say like i i can't believe this is real it's like i'm actually watching discovery channel right now <laughs> i am the discovery channel
0: <laughs> where's the guy in the shiny shiny suit yeah like <laughs> where's
1: david Attenborough? <Admore? laughs> pretty much or and of course because it's quite a mala like there's no safety fence there's no you know like it's all just on you i could have easily just walked over there and like picked up the lava if i wanted to it was it was like three feet away from me
2: oh my god here yeah. you would need like there's a fence and a barrier and a moat and then like lawyers.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was incredible.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> and then uh, down you, you've seen tons of photos and you've heard all about it. The salt flats in Bolivia, the uni mm-hmm. salt flats that they go into the Atacama desert in Chile. That at the time was like the biggest adventure of my life kind of six or eight days mm-hmm. way, way out in this like unbelievable alien landscape super harsh like severe sunburn during the day and then like well below freezing at night oh my god yeah really really incredible and amazing just i mean i guess you're on gravel tracks for the whole time but it's there's not really a road
0: Mm -hmm. my my friend who lives in salt lake i was discussing going to the salt flats for speed week one time and he mentioned to make sure that i put sunscreen up my shorts (laughs) because there's yeah. such a reflection off the sand from the sunlight that it's shooting sunlight up your shorts and so if you haven't uh applied proper protection up there you're gonna have some crazy sunburn underneath your shorts <laughs> yeah
2: i like it the is... recommendation to wear pants when you go to bonneville yeah
1: it's yeah. <laughs> like so that's a much you need better... a sunburn on a place you've never gotten sunburn before <laughs> yeah. yeah it is it's like being on a different planet it, it's mm. unbelievable yeah so i would, Chris, I would assume
0: ahead. the full larry chen yes I want, I want long pants i want long sleeve Huge and i want a habit. giant hat with a thing down the back <laughs> yep yep
2: Dan, so you had malaria did you get sun crazy any any bad sunburns you were probably behind the wheel for a lot of the time you know shielded from direct sun but you know malaria yeah. was the biggie what else
1: yeah i think my australian upbringing uh prepared me pretty well for sunburn you know okay. like you just put sunscreen on every single morning when you get out of bed. While you, 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 you know, you brush your teeth, you put Brushing sunscreen teeth, on. Sunblock, it yeah. Just is, yeah. And sometimes twice a day, you know, and, and I have a big hat trying to keep the sun off. Mm-hmm. Um, what else I got? I got a few stomach bugs here and there, you know, from eating local street food. Um, but really all in all, you know, nothing major, no, no trips to the hospital other than malaria, mm. you know, no cuts, no animal mm. bites, Um, I saw a bunch of scorpions and a few snakes and things, but they never gave me any trouble. Mm -hmm. So
2: you self-treated when you had malaria, right? That was all on the fly, just take it as
1: it came? Yeah, pretty much. Um, The first time I got it in Mali, I was staying in like kind of this overlander camping place. um, And someone there went down and bought the drugs for me. And then so I took the drugs for a few days and Mm -hmm. it actually wasn't that bad kind of like the worst flu you've ever had where you kind of just you just wrecked for like three or four days it's not good (laughs) no no but you know afterwards I was like oh that's no big deal I'm tough right (laughs) and then and then I got it a second time when I was in Angola uh, and it absolutely wrecked me for for five days I couldn't eat sleep walk talk drink anything. Um, I lost 20 pounds in five days holy shit yeah, yeah. And I was, I was traveling with this German couple at the time. And so we were just like camping out in the wilderness. So couldn't really go to a hospital. Um, but we planned ahead for this. We bought the prevention or the, the medication mm-hmm. earlier and we bought the injectable format, which is way stronger. Mm-hmm. So morning and night, they were giving me needles in my backside oh, to try and, try and help me pull through. Damn. Did you do any kind days. of prep? Yeah. Yeah. And, like and before it was- you... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. It was one of those moments in my life. So this German couple, you know, they're German. And uh Didi, he's a he's a mechanic and he's a big guy. He's got (laughs) mechanic hands. And so for five days a night, I would drop my pants and he would stick a needle in my backside. And so it was it was one of those moments in life where I'm like what bad decision led me to getting a needle in my butt from a German <laughs> mechanic on the side of the road in Angola? Like, where did I go wrong? Uh, surely this is something my mom warned me about and I shouldn't,
2: shouldn't mom, have ended up like are you, this. are you proud?
1: <laughs> and I remember being like, I, I was so out of it with malaria that like, I, I didn't think it was funny but at the same time i knew it was funny i knew it was ridiculous you know he was biting his tongue
2: trying not to laugh
0: as he
1: was doing it because well, they were he was, loving it they, they took a photo for me so there's, there's <laughs> photographic evidence of this <laughs> very great i feel like
0: uh, at, at the end of day two though they start to go come on man like right can't you do it yourself Day <laughs> two, like oh three more days after that like i i can't handle yeah. a 24-hour bug
1: yeah, it was a thing. It was definitely a thing. Did you
2: prepare or do any like field preparation kind of stuff to know how to treat yourself or how to deal with that on the f- in the field prior to leaving? Or you knew you had to buy the kit, you knew I had to be prepared and that was it?
1: Yeah, I kind of did as much research as I could talking to other people who've made the trip and, you know, reading online and I didn't take any specific training courses um mm. i've done a bunch of wilderness first aid like previously in my life yeah um and so i just educated myself as best as i could about malaria you know and i figured you know sunburn regular burns cuts and scrapes things like that were likely so that's kind of what my first aid kit was stocked full of um but you know nothing wild i, w- I wasn't prepared you know if, if if i got a punctured lung or something i wasn't carrying anything special for that there's oh, no, man, I don't know if there is a way to be prepared for that prior. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean,
2: I, I definitely have some
1: wilderness first aid training, but not nothing like really hidden. Mm-hmm. So, so sickness, I mean, how many days was this trip in total? it was like a thousand or so? Yeah, it was 999 days. Perfect. <laughs> so it was what, maybe 10 to 15 days of being sick total?
2: Oh, maybe more like 15 to 20. even so that's that's a a very small number i mean it's pretty amazing
1: that's right yep and really most days that i was sick i was like oh whatever i can soldier through you know just upset Mm -hmm. stomach you can't be like oh it happens deal with it if you have to
2: Is
0: part of that because you're you're literally by yourself so much like you weren't really around a lot of
2: no germs to
0: share other humans to like
1: that's a good question I don't know. And I definitely ate street food, like at every opportunity. So, I, you know, I was inviting stomach bugs for sure. Mm. Um, Tempting, Yeah, that's it. That's a good question. If that's why I got sick less often. How, how frequently and, and
2: for roughly like how many days or miles do you think you actually had a passenger?
1: Ah, yeah. In the Africa trip, actually, I had a girlfriend come with me for, for different segments of the trip. And then I convoyed with other people, and I also had some backpackers on board from time to time. Uh, And a friend from the States flew out and traveled with me for a few weeks. I'd say maybe 40% of the time there was someone. Oh, wow. 50% of the time. That's way more than I actually expected. Mm -hmm. Even so, 50% of the time with
2: nobody to breathe the same recirculated air. (laughs) (laughs) You know? But so, okay. So, disease wasn't anywhere. I mean, it, it, could have been it sounds far worse but did you find any any personal like psychological limitations did you ever just like hit a wall where you thought you were done aside from when you know jeep was on its side uh were there did you have days or you know stretches where you thought you were just checked out and done
1: yeah definitely on both trips i get to my limit of being lonely and just i start to really question what's the point why am i even doing this you know i'm I'm all by myself. I don't even have anyone to share these amazing experiences with. Mm. And and to this day, you know, it's it's sort of disappointing when, you know, I, I can't turn to someone and be like, oh, do you remember when we were driving down that riverbed and we saw the elephant, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, nope, I can never say that because no one was there. <laughs> um, um, and so on both trips, I guess I, I did sort of think about giving up or I did think like, ah, oh, this is stupid. And, and usually that happens, I realize when I'm exhausted or I'm hungry or I just have sort of I, I say, you know, I'm full up with experiences and I just can't mm. take in any new ones. So actually when I was in Ecuador, I stayed put for five months and I managed a hostel. Oh, wow. So I didn't even drive the Jeep for five months. Mm. And so that was a great way to sort of like, you know, process everything and then get me excited to get back on the road. Psychological reset. Totally, totally. And then I did exactly the same thing in Mozambique. I stayed in one place for almost a month
2: mm. and I
1: literally just went surfing every single day at sunrise and sunset and didn't do anything else for the whole month. (laughs) That is the dream. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it really helped me kind of reset and get more energy again and sleep properly and get some Mm -hmm. exercise in. And then I was like, okay, I'm excited to keep moving again. Were you able to exercise at all? Not so much. Not nearly as much as I wanted to. Um, Mm -hmm. the heat and the humidity and the dust are ridiculously intense in most of Africa. Yeah. So pretty I loved getting out of bed at like the first hint of sunrise because it would be like almost cool and you could mm-hmm. like feel coolness on your skin if you were wearing a t-shirt. But by probably 7 a.m. that was passed and you were already sweating and oh, like wow. uncomfortable. So it was, you know, if, if you tried to do three push ups you'd just be puddled <laughs> in sweat and you're like, oh, gee, this isn't so interesting. So it was air conditioning on from the moment you got in the driver's seat. I actually tried hard not to use the air conditioning. Um, someone had told me that if you do oh. that, if, if you use it too much, you'll get really acclimatized to it. And then every time you get out, the world feels horrible and you end up hiding in your car too much. Mm. And so I did that probably for about the first uh, quarter of the trip. And then somewhere around the Congo when the humidity was off the scale, I was like, I don't care. I'm using the air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then I use the air conditioning a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, AC is, it's so easy to take it for granted. You know, even if we go on a day trip, locally like on the atvs or in the trucks or something if i know i'm going to be outside or if we go hiking the last like 10 minutes before we get there i'll always just like look around make sure nobody's watching and just like turn the air off you know or turn oh, the heat, yeah. turn the heat up so that you get there you're not like freezing immediately but it's so it's so easy to take it for granted and i'm i can't even begin to imagine if it's
1: that hot or humid like what a luxury it is Oh, it was, it was incredible. And, and to this day, the air conditioning blows cold enough that like it'll make my hands cold on the steering wheel. So uh, wow. it, it still works really well here. I'm super <laughs> happy with it. That's
2: that's a, actually amazing. So in, in terms of the Jeep, what went wrong? Like what kind of maintenance did you have to do aside from, you know, a, you said you lost a sway bar link in a pothole. Yep. Was there anything, you know, because you, you probably could have very easily had to, change an AC compressor if you had overtaxed it and, and, you know, sheared something. But was there anything really unexpected that caught you by surprise other than tires and
1: oil changes? No, no. Actually, the Jeep was phenomenal. Like, it, it never let me down. It never left me stranded. Um, the joint on the front drive shaft, I tore the rubber boot and then so it, it spat out all of its grease and I mm-hmm. had to change it in South Africa but it wasn't packed with grease properly. So then it died again in Uganda. Um, So I had to take the front drive shaft off and I just drove for like a month without four wheel drive. And that was really the only actual like trail fix. And that was the only, you know, sort of incident mechanically speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I planned it all along. South Africa has a really big Jeep kind of presence. You know, there's Mm -hmm. big aftermarket and upfitting shops and whatever. So I drove the whole West Coast about 40,000 miles and then down in South Africa, I did an extra large round of maintenance. So I did you know, all of the fluids in the transfer case and the mm-hmm. transmission and all of that. I put in new U-joints. I actually had a new clutch put in, partly because mm-hmm. I bought the Jeep used and, and I didn't know what the condition of the clutch was. And the more I thought about it, the more I would rather have it done in a good professional shop in South Africa. It's more than, reputable
2: that you can actually... Yeah.
1: yeah, rather than like try to figure it out on the side of the road in Sudan. Didn't didn't sound like that. That An adventure in of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So so in South Africa I I did do sort of more significant maintenance, but it really was mostly just, you know, wear items and maintenance. Yeah. Straightforward. Yep. Yep. And and I really enjoy doing all of that stuff myself so that I can have a really good look around at everything and and make sure everything looks straight and you know there aren't oil leaks where there shouldn't be. And yeah.
2: There is a special confidence that comes in maintaining your own things that you're going to spend that much time with or, you know, in the sake of the ATV world on. Um, Even if you're not a spectacular mechanic, not rolling my eyes at myself here. it, It, if you know what's happening underneath it, it just, you have that sense of like, okay, if I have to climb under here and I see an oil leak or I see grease spewing out and I didn't see it before that I know something has changed and I know yeah. something needs to be addressed.
1: Um, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And one of the great things that I've kind of learned from my trips or a habit I've picked up whenever I buy gas in, in most of other countries, someone's always pumping it for you. So you kind of end up just standing around with nothing to do for five minutes. So I developed this habit where every single time I'll open the hood and check the oil. And so, oh. yeah. So now in life, whenever I'm buying gas, I check the oil and of course, while you're under the hood, you know, you, you touch the, the serpentine belt, you give the batteries a wriggle, you, you know, you have a look down the side of the engine. Is there an oil leak? And, and I always say, you know, if the engine had blown up at some point, at least I would have said, well, you know, I, I did my best and I just checked the oil two days ago. And so I, I don't feel that it's my fault. But if I went a whole month without checking the oil and then the engine blew up, I'd be pretty down on myself. So yeah, yeah just, just a good habit that I've developed to, to constantly check things. And, and even mm-hmm. in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth, I kind of, I walk a lap around, like kick the tires, maybe crouch down and have a look at the brakes or just kind of look at the end of the tie rod, like just not really looking for anything specifically, but just in general, like mm-hmm. has anything actually fallen off since last time? Is shit where I left it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And like you said, you know, is there a major oil leak, which, you know, it could happen for sure. Mm-hmm. So obviously
2: TJ to JK, you have a a, a Jeep. You know, a, uh, I can't even think of the word. You like obsession? Jeeps? Obsession? <laughs> no, I, that's a strong word. aficionado
0: but a, Yeah, well, fan. Well,
2: yeah, you're a Jeep <laughs> fan. We'll leave it at that. But was there any consideration for anything different? A Land Cruiser? Um, you know a mitsubishi anything you know nissan something that is also kind of seen around the world or was it you knew you were going jeep after the first trip and that was it
1: yeah no there there definitely was a lot of consideration um you know and i still have an australian passport so Mm -hmm. i could fly to australia and buy any diesel land cruiser that i want like that's easy for me um but I, I, a big part of it is, you know, my little Jeep did so well without ever breaking down. So mm. so I knew that it was going to be up to the challenge. Um, as well as that, here in North America, the Jeeps are inexpensive, I think, compared to everything else. The, the range of aftermarket products is is enormous, you know, and, and things mm. like the pop-up roof that I have on mine, you know, custom made for that vehicle, right. I think is, is a big win compared to, you know, if I got a Pajero or, or some other vehicle that isn't, as sort of customizable.
2: Right. Um, fixed roof. And, and
1: yeah, yeah. And then and then really the final thing that I thought about is a big part of what I'm doing is that I want <laughs> to show people out there what's possible and and that you can go and live your dreams if you want to. You don't have to buy a hundred thousand dollar strange import land cruiser that you know doesn't exist in your country and is really difficult to get. And no, no, I, I really want to show people like literally i bought my jeep used on craigslist for seventeen thousand dollars i spent a bit more than that upfitting it and then i just drove it all the way around africa so yeah yeah, and and anyone in north america can buy one of those jeeps you know they literally a dime a dozen so i i wanted to show people like you can do it It, you don't have to be a millionaire you don't have to buy this Mm -hmm. kind of really exotic vehicle
2: Right. Yeah. There's, we always talk about how there's a stigma that even just to go into the woods for a single day, people seem to think on the internet that you have to have lift tires, you know, sliders, winch, bumpers, uh, roof rack, like all that crap just for the single day trip. But I mean, you built yours. It looks like every single thing on there you, you used and used quite it's, you know, it, the extent of what it could be used for. Is there, so
1: is there anything you would have done
2: like modifications or accessories that
1: you would have done or or built differently yeah there's a couple of things that i would change um the jeep is too heavy essentially it's Mm. it's sitting right at its gvwr it's it's six thousand pounds Mm. which you know is heavy for a jeep um but other than filling it with helium balloons i don't really know how to fix that um, yeah, what I did learn—that's <laughs> yeah, what I did learn. The lesson, though, is you know most people say you should start with a good suspension upgrade and good tires, which I don't really disagree with. Mm-hmm. Except if you upgrade your suspension early on, you don't have any idea about how heavy your vehicle is going to turn out because you might add a fridge, you might add a sleeping setup, you might add a kitchen, drinking water, extra fuel, blah 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 blah. Water is that. very
2: heavy. People forget.
1: Yeah, yeah. So most fuel we all end up. We all end up with lots of stuff. And so what I've learned in my lesson is that I'm going to build my next vehicle exactly as I want it. And I'm going to use it for a month. And it'll probably be, you know, heavier than the stock suspension can handle. But then most importantly, I'm going to put it on a weigh scale. I'll know exactly how much it weighs. And then I'm going to find a suspension that is designed to carry that amount of weight. Right. So it isn't just a suspension that's, you know, three and a half inches of lift. Because that's irrelevant if it can't handle the amount of weight that I need to carry. Mm -hmm. The thing with sports
2: cars is that you can, for example, on a Miata, you can modify the suspension knowing you're not really going to change the weight of the car unless if you, for some reason, decide to gut it or do like lightweight wheels and, and such. But the weight's not going to change that much. Whereas in something like a JK, once you add bumpers and sliders and skid plates, you could be up a thousand pounds before you even know it and tacking that suspension spring like even just going up in spring rate right? the fourth the other fourth gen forerunner i had before i sold it um i put ome uh a, i had to get rid of the bilstein 5100s that were on it because they were just like there was just nothing they were just like i uh, the word i jokingly used was flaccid because they were just kind of just like bouncing on each other yeah um, Pretty gross word to use for that, but
1: uh but Go floppy.
2: Yeah, they were really too jiggly. Um but then I I I got OME springs, assuming I was gonna add more weight to it, and never actually added that weight and by the time I sold it, and it wrote like shit. Like it was so stiff, and it would have been fine with full skids and a bumper and some other stuff and like a swing out and a big spare tire. Uh, but it, it just never was. Uh, so people, people forget that because they go, I'm just going to lift it. It'll do a three inch lift or a four inch lift. And suddenly, you know, you're seriously over or undersprung and it, it can be dangerous too.
1: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that is a tricky one too, if, if you're going to daily drive your vehicle, because maybe it's really heavy on the weekends, but then it's much lighter during the week. And and that is definitely a hard balance to strike mm-hmm. in, in that regard. I'm kind of, I've got it easier because mine's just going to be heavy all the time. Because <laughs> yeah,
2: you live with it <laughs> like that. Yeah. I saw somebody yesterday in town in a two-door JK, lift bumpers, like high lift on the back and everything, and they had like it was it was built to be on like probably thirty sevens, and he was on like thirty twos with blizzaks, like full winters. But it was very clearly like his winter setup. It looks so funny.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it looks like a roller skate.
2: Yeah. But you alluded to next vehicle. Any any thoughts? Anything you can reveal, or is this still just kind of speculation, like in the back of your head that you're you're working on?
1: Uh, it's getting beyond speculation. I'm getting very close, um, but I'm a little bit reluctant to talk about future plans because of COVID. Everything is so up in the air right now. Mm-hmm. With borders closed and you know travel restrictions. And I don't want to be the guy who t- always talks about doing things, but then doesn't end up doing it. <laughs> mm. I I I want to wait until it's you know a hundred percent locked in, and I really know what I'm doing next before sure. I start talking about it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. fair. Yeah,
2: um, I very much appreciate that. There's far too much of the off-road community, likewise, that is just all about building things and not actually utilizing it, and it it all kind of goes hand in hand. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully, it. it the world normalizes sometime soon and and everybody can return to their lives and travel.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're, you're pretty eager. When was the last time that you were like in one place this long? Oh, it's been a long time since, since maybe five years, definitely a while before Africa, but yeah. And I will say too, my needs, again, I'm a little bit lucky. (laughs) I very specifically am going to purpose build a vehicle for a very specific purpose so it doesn't have to be a jack of all trades it doesn't have to be my daily commute so so that's i'm i'm a little bit different in that regard what i'm looking at and for where i'm going sure. it, it's different needs than you know someone who who lives in the us mm. um, but i think i'm hoping again to work towards something that is very like achievable and very like people people can take inspiration from it or learn cuz i hope people can learn lessons from what i've done wrong or what i've done right and and help incorporate that into their vehicle or their trip mm. And
2: hopefully their lives. Uh, I do want to touch quickly on the work less to live your dreams aspect of things, which seems to be more, it's not so much on the look where I've been, look where you can also go. It's more the ethos of uh, a work life balance mentality. Uh, You want to touch on that at all and how that led you to doing what you do now?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was before the Pan American Highway, I was just working as an engineer, going to work every day. And I, I just kind of had a look around and I realized I could flip the autopilot switch on and, and sit there doing that until I was 65. And there was, no, there was no interest, you know, sitting inside every day instead of whatever's outside the window. Um, and I was really lucky, actually, a guy I worked with, he just decided, he said, oh, I only work four days a week. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I just don't need any more money. What I need is more time so I can enjoy myself. He's like, so instead of buying a new car, when I have a day off work, I just walk to the park and read a book or I throw the Frisbee or like I do all these free things. So the money that I'm missing out on, is irrelevant anyway in my life. And so it really got me started down this path of like trying to maximize the amount of time that I have not at work so I can actually go and do the things that I love doing and that I want to do. And it's it's kind of a big game of basically try to spend less money so mm-hmm. that you don't have to trade so much of your time to get more money right. so you have more time to do what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's and, you a- know, that's, that's a big part of the reason I bought both of my Jeeps used. Um, it's a big part of the reason that I did all of the upfitting work myself. Like I'm always trying to save money and, and learn things where I can. And, and I really enjoy that. So what is in Australia, what is the, what's the
2: work mentality? Because obviously you've seen what it's like in the States and in Canada and it's life here is very work focused. It's most people, most people project the live to, you know, uh, like they go to work so that they can have a life, but most people's lives really are work. Is it the same in Australia or
1: It It is. Yeah. yeah. I would say it's pretty similar. Yeah. The majority of people go to work five days a week um, Mm. and they, you know, kind of stuck paying off their car and their house and their cell phone and all of that stuff. So they're just sort of in the rat race until retirement at 65. Right. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting. And I mean, it almost feels like you're
2: taking advantage of things when you, you ask for days off and it's, such a psychological backwards, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, no, it definitely I, is. Yeah, trying to embody <laughs> what you were just saying. You know, I think all of us need a little more of that, especially in after twelve months of of hardship and struggle and just
1: fighting to stay afloat. Um, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and and it's a long process. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you're just suddenly going to snap your fingers and have a ton of time off work. But it's you know, every day you can you can try to save a little bit more money. And, and my friend always used to say, debt is a promise of future labor. So if you owe someone money, you're basically just promising you'll go to work at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas savings is the exact opposite of that. You basically have a promise to yourself that at some point in the future, you don't have to go to work because you've got your savings there to cover your right. living expenses. Hmm. Yeah. So that's when, whenever I think about trying to save money or I look at the balance in my savings account... I was like, this is my promise to myself that I'm gonna take a chunk of time off and I'm gonna, you know, go and do mm-hmm. something crazy again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was we we talked with uh Richard and Ashley from Dust to Glory. Uh, God, that was that feels like five years ago, but I think it was just back in the spring. Did, <laughs> um, I think
2: desk desk to glory.
0: Did I I think you said dust to glory again? <laughs> Man, I I a it's fan. It's a of Freudian
2: both. slip. I know. I'm
0: a fan of both I know. Desk to glory. I did get mm. Richard and Ashley right. I didn't mess up their names. <laughs> Fair. But that was the same thing they did. That Like talking with them, they were like a day on the road for them when they were traveling down to Tierra del Fuego was like $75 a day. So every time they could put money away, they're like, that's another day on the road, not having to work. You
1: know? That's right. Yeah. And, and it's good to remember too, if you want it to be, it's, it's another day in some like beautiful place that you never, you know, like Alaska or like Tierra del Fuego that kind of is mind blowing, like it is actually possible if you put in the hard work. Yeah. So Alaska,
2: Tierra del Fuego, round out the five. What are the next three most beautiful places you've been? (laughs) Let's make them all Africa places since they, I know I have I have friends who've
1: done multiple trips to Namibia and they said it's
2: unbelievable. Um, Where else? Yeah,
1: Namibia and Botswana, they border each other. They are overlanders' paradise. You know you can wild camp you can see elephants every day super super safe super friendly Mm -hmm. so i would highly recommend both of those um it's expensive but it's life-bending when you see the gorillas in uganda Mm -hmm. they are indescribably big and you get within like three feet of them it's ridiculous you spent a while
2: going from kind of camp to camp over there right see on the gorilla preserves
1: yeah, I went to a bunch of uh, chimpanzee reserves actually. Chimpanzee reserves. Yeah, okay. which was a, a, an amazing experience because there's a couple of places where you can actually like play with them. And it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy.
0: scrolling like crazy now to get to the pictures.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was probably quite a ways back. Okay. Noted, noted. How about the Canadian Rockies? I, I've, Banff is on my like next places to go list. Where else should we, should we target?
1: Yeah, definitely the Canadian Rockies are amazing. And I will kind of say like the Alaska and Yukon are like the Rockies on steroids. So everything that you love about Colorado, everything that you love about British Columbia, the Yukon and Alaska are just like bigger, more, more wild, Hmm. more remote, bigger mountains, more wildlife, less people. So in that regard, I think they're better. Okay. (laughs) That's just me. Certainly Um, noted. yeah, Yeah. The salt flats in Bolivia, like I said, one of the most beautiful places in my life for sure
2: mm-hmm. yeah I the that.
1: list just keeps growing the list <laughs> grows and and i always say to people it totally depends what you're into you know if you want to go and see beautiful beaches like costa rica or mozambique are incredible jungle and and all that is i loved gabon super friendly mm-hmm. people immense national parks elephants crossing the road just all the time yeah yeah and like camped on wilderness beaches uh, just breathtakingly wild and beautiful Mm. so you know desert uh, crossing the sahara was amazing (laughs) so it really depends what you're into but there's no end of places to go and experience seriously i and for a lot of people and this is something that we always talk about too is that
2: you just have to get started like i'm guilty of this too because i largely am a part of this is the state of the world at the moment. But I, I go to a lot of the same places because they're convenient. They're reasonably inexpensive to get to, all things considered. And I can continue going about working while also just going back and forth. Um, and it's kind of a, a vicious cycle, partially of my own doing and, you know, also partially of my own doing. Uh, <laughs> um, but As we're probably getting towards the end of the show here, I I did want to just ask you what kind of advice or tips would you have for anybody who's trying to really, I guess, uh, more adventure outside of their own comfort zone.
1: Yeah, and I know it's always really daunting for people and, and everyone wants to know like, how did I make the leap, you know, or people always talk about it like it's a big leap. And I always try to dissuade that and say it never was a leap for me. It was just slowly dipping my toes in the pool. So, you know, like I said, when I had my first Cherokee, I would just throw some camping gear in the back and, and go camping for a weekend and mm. drive down an old dusty logging road and kind of see what was at the end of it and go for a hike. And, and so it's kind of over the years, I just practiced more and more, got more comfortable with driving off road in my vehicle, got more comfortable with my whole camping setup figured out what i enjoy bringing for food versus what i don't need and and so it just became this like process of like i really enjoy reading so i want to bring a bunch of books other people love fishing so they should bring some fishing gear you know like Mm -hmm. slowly just practice and work up and keep keep the enjoyment factor as high as you can because when you enjoy something or you love something you're always going to find a way to make it happen you know because friday after work it's easy to be like oh let's let's just stay home for the weekend it's easier but if you're super passionate about going out there and catching a rainbow trout like Mm -hmm. friday at 4 30 you're trying to sneak out of work so you can go (laughs) so it's like find that passion find the thing that you love and and like go for it and go out and find excuses to do it more and more
2: okay i'm sure i'm i know i'm taking that to heart Chris is probably thinking the same thing and you know, listeners are definitely going to hopefully run with that. And especially, hopefully in 2021. Definitely, so yeah. as for your stuff, you have a YouTube channel, The Road Shows Me, um, Road Shows Me on Instagram. There's the books on Amazon, right? Anywhere else to
1: get them? Uh, Amazon and you can get digital copies on Apple Books as well.
2: Okay. And you're on Facebook and Twitter as well? That's right, I am, yep. Okay, and, yep. Uh, and what else? Anything else you'd like to plug? Any, any other words of wisdom for us us normal
1: people? <laughs> us normal off-roaders, I guess? Well, well it's, it's funny you would say that because I, I am a totally normal person. You know, I don't work for Nat Geo. I'm not a millionaire. I just had this dream and like, got stubborn about it and went for it. And so what I'm trying to do on my YouTube channel is like, I don't want to be another guy who just shows people like me living my dream and me playing with my toys, you know, in the woods. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying really hard to teach people how to do what I do. So everything from like how to save money to what you really need in a vehicle to how to ship your vehicle around the world, visas, all kind of the logistics, all like how do I actually turn my dream into reality? That's really what my YouTube is focusing on these days. Um, And I'm, I'm always really happy to, to film videos about stuff that people want to know about. So if people have questions or if they're like, Oh, no, one's ever talked about, like, where do you go to the bathroom? Like, yep. I filmed a video about that because it is helpful and it, and it is kind of a a thing. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah. and, And there's kind of, there's a million topics that like, they're not sexy and they're not on the cover of magazines. Like, you know, a lifted Jeep on 40 inch tires is but I, I try really hard to, to help people and teach people to get out there and, and go and have their own adventure. So So that's my plug for YouTube.
2: Okay yeah, keenly watching and I mean, <laughs> obviously very much looking forward to what comes in the future. Do you have any the I know when you got back from Africa you were doing the Expo tour. Mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, Chris and I, had discussions about going to the midwest expo in on valentine's day you have anything planned or is it very much just all in uh,
1: everything's in the, in the, the big covid wish wash i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the plan was to, to get to all of them again in 2021 um but i know they've already delayed the the big prescott one until mm-hmm. later in the year so i i have no idea what's possible and and actually the border between the us and canada is still closed so, I, I can't even get down to the US right now to go to any shows. Yeah. Um, so, it's, I'm, I'm hoping definitely to get to more shows, but I, I really don't know.
2: Okay. Yeah. I'm looking, I, as I, as you said that, I looked at the, uh, I looked at today's date and remembered it was five years ago today. I drove into Canada to buy my first Forerunner. <laughs> Sweet. So. that's a good
1: milestone.
2: Yeah. Full circle. And then I spent an hour today trying to unfuck the stuff that I messed up on the new one, the
1: other one that I have. So it's it's all part of it. What do they call that? The circle of life? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Buy perfect vehicle, screw up perfect vehicle, spend time and money trying to fix perfect vehicle.
2: There's no such thing as perfect.
1: (laughs) Not unless you have crazy
2: money, but you know that. Yeah. So, okay. Well, Yeah, I think that's it. Um, Follow all of, all three of us. Chris and I write for Hooniverse. I wrote something about that weird Russian UAZ uh, Bremock Taos thing that might be, Taos, that might be sold here. Um, Chris has been writing more and more frequently.
0: I I have been down a rabbit hole lately of do-it-yourself electric vehicles. Um, Holy crap, those things are expensive. Like not what the internet would lead you to believe. Yeah, there. Well, there was. uh, It's a completely different tangent, but like, there were some that it was like, if you go buy a used forklift motor for a couple hundred bucks, maybe it's not bad. But every single time, the same thing is still batteries. Batteries are so expensive. So uh, every, I've been on EV West website. I've been on like it. It just. So many of the kits were like, here's our kit for this number and then good luck getting batteries. Like it, it was mm-hmm. just, yeah, anyway.
2: Batteries I, only new for manufacturer for $7,000. Okay, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Like it makes so, Brad's um, idea with his Nissan Leaf slash Boxer that more impressive to me. Yes. And
2: all the kudos in the world to him, but in, <laughs> impressive doesn't necessarily mean rational. And I say that lovingly. Yeah. yeah.
0: I love this project, I still want to see when it's done. Doesn't I just don't
2: rational. want my hands anywhere near it.
0: <laughs> in in Brad's defense, none of his vehicles are rational.
1: True, very true. <laughs> they, no, they, and it's definitely the irrational ones we fall in love with, and it's exactly. definitely those that like captivate us the most. But of course, we didn't work on it, so we don't have the bloody knuckles and all the swear words to go with it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
2: the, the Truer words may never have been spoken. <laughs>
1: So yeah, that's our
2: show. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, We encourage everybody to go read your stuff on your website and pick up the book. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can all get together and have a laugh sometime at an expo in the near future.
1: Look forward to it, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thanks.